Thank you for being here tonight. We're glad that you were able to come and chose to come after Josh told you I was preaching this morning. And I was surprised to see any of you, but uh, glad that you're here. Uh, two or three things before, before I actually get into the scriptures and begin to, to share some thoughts from those. I always, uh, when I was preaching full-time low these many years ago, down in Louisiana, I always liked uh, Sunday nights better than I did Sunday mornings. Now, maybe I'm weird that way, I'm not sure. But it was always a little more intimate. It was a little more that where I could just talk to my brothers and sisters and more like a family meeting. And so I'm gonna treat, uh, treat tonight that way and the, the Sunday nights through the rest of the year. If you weren't here this morning, uh, the ministry team met this last week and spent some time uh, not only praying but thinking about the, the future, of, particularly through the end of the year. And Josh will be doing most of the preaching on Sunday morning, some short series of, of lessons. The others will be interspersed in there from time to time. And I will be preaching on most of the Sunday evenings, not all of them. There'll be some other opportunities. but. Uh, I chose to do that because I have something not, not as a fill-in preacher, but as something that I explained to many of you several weeks ago that has become a passion of mine that uh, I really want to share with you. A couple of disclaimers with that. I'm, I'm not in this series and the passion hasn't arisen out of any particular person and I don't have anybody in mind as I preach this series of lessons. I'm not picking on you. If it fits, then, then fine. The truth is, most preachers, if they're any good, preach, and that's assuming that I'm any good. I guess I better start over with that. <laughs> most preachers preach what uh, they're dealing with and struggling with in their heart. They may not be aware of that, but it's just the nature of who we are and what we are. And so my series, I'm going to call it, uh, they called him Rabbi. Because Jesus came and was recognized as the teacher from God. And he came to teach us. To teach us not just principles, but to teach us who God is and who he was. And it's my conviction, my um, understanding from the scriptures, that he did that so that we could become more and more like God. And so my passion is coming from my experience of seeing some of us, and I remember I said some of us, that have been in Christ for a long time that sometimes don't manifest very well what Jesus looks like. For instance, I think I see too much fear among Christians. I think I see too much lack of joy, lack of peace. I think I see too much anger sometimes, too much um, unkindness, lack of gentleness. And all of those things are contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is designed to grow us into being what Jesus is, what God is. And so my focus for the rest of this year on Sunday nights 
is for us to look at some of the teachings, specific teaching of Jesus, and take one principle at a time, and not only understand what he's saying, I'm not as concerned that we understand just what, to know what he said. I am more concerned about how do we make that happen in our lives? How do I make that happen in my lives? So I'm going to try the best of my ability with God's help, and I pray, I promise you I pray about this every day. And I ask you to pray, and I ask you three or four weeks ago to join me on the journey of praying about this. I want to, as best I can, give you some very practical ways to begin, if you're struggling with this particular teaching of Jesus, to put that into practice, to grow in that. Realizing that none of us will ever be perfect and none of us will ever manifest all of the qualities of God, all the qualities of Jesus to perfection, because if we do and if we understood God completely and Jesus completely, then we be God. We won't ever be there. But I believe it's God's desire for me and for you to grow in these things as much as we can, to find ways to put these into each other's lives and into our own lives so that we can look more and more like God to the world around us and to each other. Because it's my conviction that that's the only way we're going to reach our world. They're not interested in another religion. They're not interested in another set of doctrine. They're not interested in another theory. They are interested in seeing God living in the lives of people that attract them, and, and they can emulate that and be drawn to that. And I think that's what our task is about. With that background, let's pray, and I want to look at the first of those teachings tonight. Father, teach us. We're hard-headed sometimes. Not only that, Father, sometimes we just don't understand and we understand that you tell us to do some things but we don't understand how help us with that father teach us how to do that teach us how to become more and more like you like your son so that we reflect your glory to all the world around us so that they too can be drawn to a relationship with you so that they can be saved eternally but more than that father so that you can Bless them with your presence and bless them with the things that you give us because we're your children. Bless us to that end as we look at your word tonight. It's in Jesus that I pray. Amen. I might add that I haven't mapped out all the lessons for the end of the year. If there's a particular teaching of Jesus that you just really struggle with, that you just can't get your head around, you can't get your life around, I'd be, w be glad to hear from you and try to develop something to, to help us in that. So feel free to give me suggestions or, or however in a way I can help you. I want to focus on one of what we call the Beatitudes tonight. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they'll be filled. First of all, I want us to understand what he says there, and then we're going to look at some examples of what he says in the life of Jesus himself, and then some practical suggestions I want to make of how we can better hunger and thirst after righteousness. First of all, hungering and thirsting. 
The words that are used here are not just a, like I had this afternoon, a hunger because I ate lunch about 12 o'clock and it's getting close to 6 o'clock and I needed a snack of some kind. It's not the kind of hunger he's talking about. He's talking about a starving, a craving for something, a, a intense desire that comes from the fact that I didn't have any food. Thirst is the same kind of thing. He's not talking about a, a, a thirst that could be quenched by a cup of coffee or a, a, a Coke of some kind or some glass of iced tea. He's talking about the word that's used there is the, the idea that if you don't get food and if you don't get water, you're going to die. You're going to starve to death. It's, it's intense desire. It's a hungering and thirsting. It's an intense desire for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. So if we understand that it's a desire, it's a thirst. When I thought about this, I, one of my favorite pastimes when I don't have to think uh, is to read Zane Grey novels. I've read every one that he's ever written and uh, read the most most of them more than one time and, and quite often in, if there's a cattle drive and they're out in the desert and there's one in particular where two cowboys have gone to Australia and they they're have a, a herd of cattle or they call them a mob of cattle in, in uh, Australia that they were out on the desert and the, begin, the cattle begin to scent water and there's no way to stop the stampede to get to the water that they lost several cowboys, they lost several of their horses because the cattle could not be stopped because they were so thirsty that they were going to get to that water and nothing was going to stop them. That's the kind of hungering and thirsting that I think Jesus is talking about. Now, if you hunger and thirst for that, You're doing what Jesus also said in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, he said, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I've heard a lot of sermons on that. I've probably preached several sermons on that. And what we tend to focus on when we read that passage, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, is that what we interpret that and the way we interpret that is seek first the church. That's his kingdom. Seek first the things that are in church. It means I want to go to church. I want to study. I want to understand the scripture. I want to, I want to pray. I want to take communion. I want to give. I want to do all the things that we do in church. But he doesn't say just seek first his kingdom. And by the way, kingdom there is the rule of God in my life. It's not just coming to church. Seek first the rule of God in my life and his righteousness. My highest priority my, should be, your highest priority should be as a child of God, to seek the righteousness of Christ. Okay, let's define righteousness a little bit. It's a tricky word in the New Testament because it can mean a number of different things. Two broad categories, and there are probably subheadings under this. One of them is doing the right thing. 
And it's based on a number of different things. It's, it's based on the fact that, as he says in Romans, the sixth chapter, you've died to sin, you're now buried with Christ, and therefore you can't continue to live in sin, you live a different life. It's what you do because you want to do the right thing. You want to live right. You don't want to do bad things anymore. You want to do good things anymore. You want to, to live the way that, that Christ lived. It's a good, moral, ethical living. It's a submitting to the will of God. It's what Peter talks about, add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge temperance and, and on down the line. It's those qualities of life. It's those things that we put into our life, the list that Paul talks about in Colossians, the third chapter, all those things that we put on, he says, put on these things after you put to death certain things. It's those things. That's one of the ways that it's used. It's uh, some examples of that. Daniel lived a righteous life from that perspective. Daniel refused to do anything wrong. He refused to do anything that he knew was against the will of God. He wouldn't pray to an idol. He wouldn't uh, bow down to the, to the king and worship him. He faced the lion's den because of that. He would not change his moral purpose. He would not, in the first chapter of Daniel, eat food that was unclean. He would not eat, uh, have drink that was not what God had pres prescribed. That's moral, ethical living based on what he understood the truth was, he was going to do it right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the same way. Joseph was another example of that. Regardless of what Potiphar's wife did, regardless of the consequences, he was going to live right. He had that kind of faith and that kind of determination, I'm always going to do the right thing. Now, that's one kind of righteousness. And it may be part of what he's talking about here, and I think it's part of it. There's another part of righteousness that's used particularly by Paul, and that is being in a right, justified relationship with God. It doesn't have anything to do whether I'm doing the right thing or being the right thing or doing all the right, you know, going through all the right laws and fulfilling all the right commandments. It has to do with me being in the blood of Christ. And that God, because I'm in the blood of Christ, counts me as being righteous. This is what Paul talks about in Romans, the third chapter. And I'm just going to turn and read that to remind you of what he says. He says, there's now a righteousness from God. Now, this, this is not what I do or what you do. It is from God, apart from law. It has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify... This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. This righteousness is not about me doing the right thing. It's me being in the right relationship with God in Jesus. That I have a relationship with God where he is my father and I'm his son. And he is your father and you are his daughter that you're in a relationship through the blood of Jesus and counted as perfect always, as long as you're in that relationship. 
So that's two different, two different things, and I hope you get the difference in those two different things. One of them is always trying to do the right thing. The other one always trying to be in the right relationship with God in Christ. Both are important, and I'm not sure exactly which one Jesus is talking about here, but we understand that that's what we're hungering for. If it's either one or if it's both of those, I am hungering and thirsting, and you are hungering and thirsting to always be in the right relationship with God and always be able to figure out how to do the right thing. It's a pretty tall order, isn't it? That that's my passion and that's my, that I'm like that herd of cattle. Nothing's going to stop me to do that. Nothing's going to get in my way because that's what I want to do and that's what I want to be and that's what I want to. It's not about coming to church only. It's not about just what I believe only. Those are very important things. I think it's important that we come to church so that we can encourage each other in this passion. It's important to understand what God teaches, to know the truth, to, to have the right faith, the right doctrine, because without that we don't know what he wants. But you can do all of those things. You can come to church all of your life, and I can come to church all my life, and I can believe all the right things and be taught all the right things and still not have a passion for them and still not want to be that more than anything else in my world and anything else in my life. That's what hungering and thirsting is. That's how Jesus says we're blessed. And that's how he says we'll be filled. Now, let me, let me show you how Jesus, some of how Jesus did that. Obviously, don't have time to look at all of that. But um, some of the things that, that the Gospel of John records, I'm going to read some of them just to remind us uh, of what Jesus said. Remember the time when he's at the well, um, talking to the, to the Samaritan woman and his disciples go off to find food because Jesus is hungry. And while they're gone, the woman comes to the well and strikes up a conversation with her. And this is in John, the fourth chapter. When the disciples come back, Jesus says, I'm not hungry anymore. And the disciples say, did somebody give him something to eat? Now, what happened? Jesus' words to them is, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. My, Jesus says in so many words, my hunger was satisfied because I was able to do what God wanted me to do for this woman. He was hungering for righteousness, hungering to do the right thing. In fact, he goes on to say in uh, John, the fifth chapter, verse 19, um, these are all very similar. He says, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Wow, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that, that there is absolutely nothing that I do 
that I don't see God do first. That's what Jesus' passion was. In the sixth chapter, in verse 38, again, a very similar passage. If I can find verse 38. Um, For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus, in essence, says it's not about me and it's not what about what I want. It's not about what I'd like to do. It's about what God wants me to do. And that's all I care about. In John 12 and verse 49, again, a very similar thing. And these are, there are others where he says something similar to this. John 12 and verse 49, again, he says, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. And again, I say, wow, I wish, <laughs> I wish God would always tell me what to say and when to say it and how to say it and that that's all I ever said. That was, God, that was Jesus emulating, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Now, the thing that made that possible, and we won't go through all of the accounts in Luke where he does this, Jesus repeatedly, being the Son of God and being here on earth, being already living a perfect life, he got his strength to do that because he quite often went off to pray to his Father. He went off to talk to the Father. He went off to renew his relationship with his father. He, in his own words, in John the 15th, 16th, and 17th chapter, he says, I want to be glorified again with you, Father, the way I was glorified before I came to earth. Jesus said, I had everything with you, God, and I long for that again because I'm separated from you. Jesus was sent to earth and lived as a man, and yet he craved that relationship with the Father that he had had before he came to the earth, and that he wasn't a man, he was part of God, and he wanted to maintain that relationship as much as possible. So quite often, sometimes with his disciples, sometimes away from his disciples, quite often when the crowds were trying to, to get him to teach them, he says, no, I need to go off and be with the Father. That's where he got his strength to do the will of the Father always, to say what the Father wanted to say, to do what the Father commanded him to do because he was in constant, constant, constant relationship with the Father. So, what does that look like for us? There's so many, so many different things that I could... Uh, illustrations that I could use, but let me suggest two or three things. First of all, at least for me, what I need to do is spend as much time with the Father as possible. Now, that doesn't always mean in prayer. What it means is I need to read the stories of God over and over and over again in the Old Testament because that's how he revealed himself to me. I was talking with someone this morning that the only way we know about God is through the stories of God, how he dealt with the different people that he dealt with. 
That tells us who he is. I need to do those. I need to spend time with the stories of Jesus because Hebrews tells us that God in times past, and I'm paraphrasing here, times past spoke to his people through prophets and other ways. Now he's spoken to us through his son. What Jesus primarily came to do was to die for us. But in the process, he wanted to reveal God to us. And so every story and every word that you see from Jesus, as he's already said in his own words, every story, every word that you hear from Jesus is a revelation of who God is and what God is. I have to spend time reading those stories over and over and over again so that I'll know God a little bit more a little bit clearer, a little bit more understanding of who he is and what he is and what he would do in situations, what he did in situations, so that I'll have a clearer picture of that. But that's not enough. I have to spend a lot of time in prayer asking for wisdom. Wisdom specifically to know how to conduct myself every day, to emulate what Jesus did. God, show me what you want me to do today. Teach me today. Help me today to know how to deal with every situation that I come up with. Fill me with your spirit so that everything I do today, and by the way, this is a prayer that I pray every morning, Give me wisdom, fill me with your spirit so that whoever sees me today will see a reflection of your spirit in my life. That's asking for his will. That's asking for righteousness in my life because it's asking to help me be in a relationship with you where I always do the right thing. Now, Again, on a very practical level, what does that look like? Well, to me, it says I need to slow down sometimes, and before I do anything or say anything, ask some questions of myself and of God. I'm faced with this situation. What would Jesus do? What would God do? What stories, and you can do this pretty quickly if you're spending your time in the stories and spending your time with, with Jesus. What stories apply to this? How did I see God handle this? How did I see Jesus handle this? Um, I'm going to pick on two things that, that Paul said, not because I'm picking on any of you, because, but because I saw this happen this week in the life of someone. And I'm going to use her as an example in just a minute. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verse 26, depending on your translation, one translation says, Be angry, but sin not. Or another translation says, In your anger, do not sin. Now, what I gather from that is that we can't help sometimes being angry. Uh, but we can help what we do with that anger. We can either use it and sin, or we can back off and say, okay, I'm angry, but I can't sin in this anger. So when I become angry, 
I'll just use an example in our news. Some people become very angry with the police. So some people decided, okay, I'll just shoot them. Okay, I think that's sin. Okay, that's my perception. There's another option to that. There's an option of dropping back and saying, okay, well, how would God do with this? What would Jesus do? It's okay to be angry because a policeman brutalized someone. I think we should be angry. But it's not okay to take vengeance into our hands and destroy that person because then we become like them. So I have a choice of what to do with my anger. And so I need to stop and say, okay, what about my anger would be sinful if I did that? If in my anger I broke a relationship I had with a family member, how would God feel about that? If in my anger I destroyed a brother and sister in Christ, how would God feel about that? If in my anger I blasphemed the name of his church, how would God feel about that? So what can I do with my anger that instead of destroying, blesses and helps and encourages and strengthens someone? So I have to make that conscious. If I'm guided by the Spirit, I have to make that conscious decision. I'm going to stop before I do anything with my anger and figure out what it is God wants me to wants me to do with it and not think about me and my desire and what I want but think about what is it that God wants me to do with the anger that's rightfully there or maybe wrongfully there but I still have to figure out what God wants me to do. Now just following that Paul says to the, to the Ephesians in the fourth chapter verse 29 let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth but only that which builds someone up <laughs> wow how many of you can I won't ask you to raise your hand can say that you're always able to do that so the next time you're angry the next time I'm angry or the next time I'm tempted to say something what hungering and thirsting after righteousness says to me is I stop and say, okay, what is the will of God with my words here? Will my words hurt someone? I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the, the biggest struggle I have with that. Some of you are aware of this and some of you may have been hurt by it. Is I like to tease people. I like to make jokes. But I have to be very careful because sometimes in teasing people and using the words that I use, I've hurt people. So even before I do that, I need to stop and say, choose my words carefully because they only need to build somebody up, never to turn something, to hurt someone or tear someone down. So if you combine those two things, when I'm angry and want to say something, Time out. Stop your tongue. Stop your anger. 
and ask God, what is it that you want me to do right now? I'm angry and I want to say this, but what does Jesus want me to do? What does the Spirit want me to do? Because the Spirit is gentleness and kindness and patience. And unless I can be kind with it, unless I can be gentle with it, then I need just to keep my tongue quiet. Now then, let me, let me close with an illustration. There was a, a young lady that uh, I was with this week that was struggling with, uh, she just found out she'd lost her job. Not under very good circumstances, not under, she knew that the people had been lying to her, she knew that there were a number of things. She'd lost her job, but she still had a week, actually a week and two days to go back and work before her job was terminated. She knew that she was gonna encounter some people at work that she was angry with, and that when she encountered them, she said, I sometimes can't control my tongue very well. Sometimes uh, I just say what's on my mind. So she said, pray for me. And so before she left for work, we stopped and we prayed, and my prayer was with her and for her, God not only give her the wisdom to how to deal with this, but guide her all day long with your spirit. That was Friday morning, and she had a pretty rough day for a lot of different reasons, but she told me Friday evening, she said, and I asked her, and I didn't have but just a minute or two to talk to her. I asked her, well, how'd your day go? She said, it was pretty rough. But I kept repeating to myself, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience. It works. When we pray for God and desire more than anything else to do it God's way and ask Him for the guidance to do that, then we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And He said, you will be filled. You will be filled. So how do we put it into practice? <laughs> you just ought to start practicing. You gotta start praying. And you gotta start asking God for the wisdom to do what he said to do and entrust him to give you the power with his spirit working in you to be able to do that. And these two illustrations may not have meant anything to you because you may not have any problem with your tongue or any problem with your anger. But it applies to every other thing that we try to do to the glory of God. Stop before you do it. Ask for God's wisdom ask for his spirit and see if he doesn't fill your life with the fruit of his spirit. If we can help you in any way tonight, we're going to sing a song to encourage you. If you have a need, a couple of our shepherds will be in the back and I'll be up here at the front. If we can help you in any way, please let us know how we can do that while we stand and sing.